Blog Talk Radio. It's the Jenny Hatt Show at Blogging Mothers Magazine. My special guests today are Dr. Leonard Horowitz and investigative journalist Sherry Kane. Len, Sherry, welcome to the show. Hi, Jenny. Great to be with you. Thank you, Jenny, for having us. We decided to have this show because on Sunday on Facebook we were having a chat about the true history of the National Vaccine Information Center, and Barbara Lowe Fisher, who is the current head of that, and the role she has played for over 30 years with that organization. We thought we would begin this radio show with Glenn sharing the very beginnings of this organization back in the early 80s, over 30 years ago. Glenn, share your story. Well, Sherry, uh, Jenny, thank you. And sharing this story is, is not pleasant at all. Uh, th- as you mentioned, 30 years of very little being done, allegedly c- educating the public and representing the public in uh, legislation is, has not produced a cessation of genocide and a cessation of our children being damaged and even given us more power Instead, we're looking at mandatory vaccination legislation nationwide, and so we have to question what happened. So I think it's really appropriate to look back. Um, I was actually involved with NVIC early on. My company was a publishing company. It was Tetrahedron Publishing Group, and we were out of Idaho, and doing very well in the industry before I was personally attacked and my companies were destroyed by the trolls, they call them today, but they're well known to be what's called COINTELPRO, counterintelligence propagandists. Before I was attacked, I was actually very active because in 1996, I had published the first edition of Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Nature Accident or Intentional, and the book reprinted for the first time for the public's view. United States government contracts under which numerous AIDS-like and Ebola-like viruses were bioengineered by the Army's sixth top biological weapons contracting lab called Litton Bionetics that gave Merck Pharmaceutical Company shipped contaminated monkeys and chimpanzees for vaccine studies. And in my research, which was in-depth and has never been controverted in the world of science, even though it's an extremely important and vitally important diagnosis of the origin of a plague that has now killed over 20 million people internationally. I'm speaking about HIV-AIDS. The origin of AIDS has been covered up, and my work has been purposefully disparaged and neglected. And so back in 1996, I was actually out there speaking on this subject of the hepatitis B vaccine that had been tainted with chimpanzee uh, simian immunodeficiency virus. It's called SIV chimp. It's about 64% identical to human HIV. And it was a very important topic. It still is. And so I started to work with... uh, Barbara Lowe Fisher, and uh, she was had an assistant, Kathy, at the time, and I was asked by them if I could kindly give money to the organization. 
And I did. I gave them, it wasn't a lot of money, it was a few hundred dollars, and I was thrilled to go down and meet, be here, be at that event at the second annual meeting, uh, National Conference of the National Vaccine Information Center, where I ex certainly expected to have the opportunity to share a little bit about my research. Well, I got there, and it was though I was a plague. They didn't want to have anything to do with me, even though I had – there was only two sponsors of the event. It wasn't like there were a lot of financial supporters of the event, of NVIC at that time, and my company was one of them. And I was literally shut down, and I was actually uh, under kind of duress, prohibited from even getting up in a question-and-answer session – and asking Barbara Lowe Fisher the, some of the most important questions about vaccinations because I was clearly anti-vaccine. I had already uh, made the mistake of training 30,000 healthcare professionals nationwide between 1990 and 93. I trained them in all sorts of infection control methods and materials and clinical practices and I recommended hepatitis B vaccines before I knew. So, I, you know, I have my own karma that I have to deal with and the emotion and, and the sadness of my mo own mother dying from a flu vaccine. You know, I had a lot at that time of information that I had in my heart to share. I was literally shut out. I stood in line and just about when I when. Barbara Lowe Fisher was calling for the people in line to speak and raise the questions for the group. She shut me down. So I was appalled, and I sadly went to, we were then scheduled to have dinner, and you know how God works. I just happened to sit down with a woman. The table had about eight chairs at the time, but there was only one woman who looked kind of forlorn, Sad, sitting there all alone, and I felt like that, so I sat down next to her, and it just happened to be Marge Grant, and Marge Grant had gone through the same thing, but worse, far, far, far worse. Marge Grant had actually started the National Vaccine Information Center before it was called that. It was called Dissatisfied Parents Together, that off of DPT. She had a son who was seriously damaged from DPT vaccine. And so I sat down next to Marge, and I introduced myself. She said what her background was, and I said, oh, that's interesting. She began to tell me the story, how she went on Phil Donahue's show. She was the one who began the whole thing by going on the Phil Donahue show and sharing with America the story, not expecting to have a huge response, but by the time she got off the air, the telephone lines were ringing off the hook at the station. And they were collecting all the names and contact information for all these people. And while she was literally in the studio, Barbara Lowe Fisher and lawyers that had been previously people working for the pharmaceutical industry and lobbyists, professional lobbyists, had come in already, infiltrated, 
worked a deal with Barbara Lowe Fisher that they would confiscate all of the database that was being generated. And it came out to, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter of a million families had called in and left the, the names saying that they would help give money. They were also victims of the intoxication from the injections. And so this was the beginning. Now, I, I sat there at that dinner table blown out, but it made now sense why I would not be permitted to share this most important of all diagnosis of vaccine injury called AIDS. And subsequently, I stayed in touch with Marge for a couple years and uh, saw what was taking place. And no matter what she did and what I did, because I published Marge's story. When we went back to press in 1998 with the book Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola for the second edition, I added Marge's story in there. And again, because the, my experience is similar to yours and, and Sherry's, Jenny, whereby the mainstream media does not cover the truth that shall set us free. And we're kind of like lone voices crying in the wilderness, or at least it seems that way. It was very, very sad. Marge's story, I think, is one of the saddest stories in the history of vaccinology. And then the additional manipulation of Barbara Lowe Fisher and her group to be constantly saying and broadcasting their mantra that, quote, I'm not opposed to vaccines, end quote, where they say that and they say they just want safer vaccines. Well, it flies in the face of common sense. It's actually ridiculous and stupid to the max to even say that when you know what's in vaccines. You know, you can't get a safe formula of mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde, formalin, monosodium glutamate, tween, polysorbate 80, stabilizers, sterilizers, and the sterilizers include human sterilizers like HCG, human chorionogonadic trophic hormone that literally sterilizes women. Spermicides, these are the non-active ingredients in vaccines, and the vaccine active ingredients are just as bad. It's all GMOs. So that's it. You can't get them to be made safe poisons. So it's a ridiculous concept, and, you know, it's, goes back to Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister for the Third Reich, who said that with Hitler, he said, the greater the lie, the more people will believe it. And that's, what this, could, that's what's going you, on. So could you tell that, what happened when you tried to contact Dr. Joseph Mercola, who had been tasked with giving the keynote address at the NVIC conference in 1989? Oh, yes. I, again, I had been engaged with co communications correspondence on a very friendly basis with Dr. Joseph Mercola, and that uh, I, in fact, had, had invited him to stay with us. There were, he was planning a trip to Hawaii, and we had a place in Hawaii where we invited him to stay with us for free. And 
you know, I, having viewed his work, uh, you know, I thought it was really legitimate. And so I openly, in good faith, were, was in correspondence and presented the invitation. Well, I, I wrote him when I, as soon as I saw that first time where he's going to be a speaker at NVIC, and he, maybe he didn't know my story, so I wrote him a very kind, very informative, brief letter and said, you know, this is the story. There are a virtually, there are grassroots, uh, not a grassroots organization, they're an astroturf. It's a fake grassroots organization that's been set up. And at the time when I corresponded with Joseph Mercola, I didn't have the exact terminology. Right now we have the terminology. We know for a fact that it represents what's today called the deep state. They're the shadow governors. They basically have the revolving doors between FDA, CDC, and the drug industry, and that they, because of their money, they call the shots, and literally, and that the uh, information was called COINTELPRO, counterintelligence program that was set up and administered by FBI in working with the drug industrialists. Well, I sent Dr. Mercola this information, expecting him to say, oh, Len, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me, because that's what a professional would say. An ethical professional would look at the history and say, I don't want to have any part of this organization. And that's what I expected Dr. Mercola to say. Instead, I was blown out. I got a letter back from him, an email back from him saying, don't ever contact me again. You're now off of my list. You know, and I, and that's the way it's been. And and I've sat back over all these years and just watched him make a vast fortune by being supported by NVIC. And it just came out. People don't even realize that uh, between 2011 and 2014, Mercola alone donated over a million dollars to NVIC that advertises his books. And his books then promote the nutraceuticals that he's selling from his store. And he has a massive amount of money. I mean, people can't even imagine how much money Mercola has. And it's not that I'm jealous. I'm just blown out. I'm disgusted the fact that it's completely unethical, the manners in which he has operated uh, complicit with the National Vaccine Information Center, defrauding the public. Because if you have knowledge and you don't share it, and that knowledge is substantive to saving lives, you have a duty. It's called public duty. It's public duty doctrine. And as a professional, you have an ethical requirement. As a doctor, you have an ethical requirement to save lives and to do the right thing. And in fact, he has a pattern now of doing the wrong thing in the same way. It's called consumer fraud. And he was just – now get this. Jenny, this is unbelievable, but this is a fact that on April the 13th, 2016, Dr. Mercola was indicted by the FTC – the Federal Trade Commission, for defrauding the public on the sale of tanning beds. And 
the very next day, the indictment came in on pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was April the yeah it was April the 13th uh, or March the 13th 2016. I got to relook up that date. It's one of the two. The very next day, it was settled. Mercola settled it in 24 hours and agreed to pay over $5 million to over 1,000 customers who had paid between $1,400 and $4,000 per tanning bed. Over $5 million without a blink. They settled it in 24 hours, according to the press release of the Federal Trade Commission. And it has never gotten out in the mainstream press in any big way. I think Chicago Magazine covered it briefly, or Tribune covered it as a, as a, as a quick blurb. But you would think that given that Dr. Mercola goes on Dr. Oz repeatedly, and that he is the leader, supposedly, in the anti-vaccination movement, and he is the expert in natural medicine, that there would be some blip on the radar screen of the media, even among his critics, because he has many critics, as I do, as you do. But there was virtually nothing. And so that, that is evidence, you see. In fact, in law, uh, what we're looking at is two things. Silence, which is evidence in law, when you don't address an issue, you avert it, you avoid it, and in fact it becomes a, a fact. It literally becomes a virtual uh, assent. You know, you agree to it when you don't controvert it, when you don't tell you the reason why it, it's false. It becomes true. And so it's a vicarious admission. It's, it's called vicarious admission in law. And also that it's not just silence. It's the fact you have willful blindness, where Mercola knows the truth about NVIC, for example. He knows the truth about all vaccines can't be made safe. You can't make mercury or aluminum injectables safe. GMOs, no, I'm sorry. They don't belong in a human body. And so it's really... Uh, it's fraud and it's actionable and it's actually criminal. It's a felony when you have this information and then you don't do your duty to alert the public and save lives. And so it's also called misprision of felony when you know that this genocide is taking place and you do nothing. And it's also a violation of 42 U.S.C. 1980. Six, whereby it actually says, the Congress says that if you are aware that you can help prevent damage to the public and you don't do anything, you personally are liable. Wow. So, yeah, so this is the situation that we're dealing with. Uh, it's, to me, it's just grossly disgusting, and unfortunately it's killing not only a lot of people, but it's ruining future generations uh, of intelligence and in our youth. And the planet is being poisoned itself. The environment is being destroyed, all by the same kind of pattern of gross negligence and, you know, misprision of felony. Well, let's move, let's move forward to what happened this past weekend, because I think it's kind of like the final nail in the coffin in terms of 
the way they respond to your claims, Sherry sent a message to Joe Mercola's wife and tried to inform her readers about this history. Sherry, would you tell what happened? Sure. So basically, um, I had been, well, I really didn't have too much contact with her. She was my Facebook friend for a long time. I don't know how she became my Facebook friend, but she was on there. And I was also receiving her newsletters. And I, you want to go and get, no, go ahead. Okay, okay, uh, and I'm referring to her name. It's Erin Elizabeth. That's the name that she calls herself anyway. And she never makes it clear that she's his wife. We didn't find that out until this week as well. We looked it up the records. And never gave her last name. I never really thought about that she just used her first and her middle name. Never thought, why didn't she give her last name? And that really is what lead, what really led us on the path of, you know, who she was in connection to all of this. And so I was on her newsletter. I noticed that she had sent out a newsletter to people, and on there, there was a, a, a blurb about. And, and I, let me just go back one second because about a year ago, she had reached out to me and said, "I want to hear your story about what's going on with you guys," because her house. It was right about a month before our house was actually physically stolen, taken from us. But there was a, a drug-dealing attorney that was targeting us, and he had stolen. Well, he was trying to steal our house. He had already transferred all our property into a fake entity that didn't even exist at the time when he did the transfer. It was just a real big mess. And we were, we were targeted as journalists and activists. And so she reached out to me and said, I want to I know your story. Please send me the information. So I did, and then I followed up with a message with her to her on Facebook, and she never responded. So then, now she responds a year later. She responds after I see her newsletter. I see that she mentions that her Uncle Tom wrote a book with Dr. Robert Mendelssohn, who's really the pioneer of anti-vaccination, of the whole movement. And she says, she never mentions the name of the book. She says it was written in the late 70s. And she also says that, you know, great things about Barbara Lowe Fisher and NBIC. And that's when I contacted her on Facebook and I said, can I know the name of your, of your Uncle Tom, his last name? Can I know the name of the book? And I also wanted to let you know that Barbara Lowe Fisher has been known to do nefarious things. So she responded to me on Facebook and said, pretty much like diverting, I don't have much time to give you, you know, any of this information you're asking me for. Um, she said that uh, she has to ask her family for permission to give me the name of the book. And I didn't get the la his last name. At that point, I'm thinking, okay, what, what's going on here? And then she also basically said, you know, Barbara has been really, really good to us. And I had posted all the information about Barbara on that Facebook page, that just pretty much a paragraph that sums up what she was about and what the information we had on her. Well, she sent me an email. Even though she hadn't responded to that one I sent her a year ago giving her information, she responds to me and she says pretty much like, you know, Barbara Lowe Fisher is a great person and, you know, it was like a goodbye letter. And then she took me off of her Facebook list. 
but she pretty much defended him and uh, defended Barbara Lowe Fisher and FIC. They've been really good to me and Joe, and, you know, what you're writing is propaganda. So then I started to research who was her Uncle Tom because I wanted to know her, his last name. So I found out her Uncle Tom was was a uh, Tom Finn, F-I-N-N, and he did write a book, but it was in the late 80s, not the late 70s. It was the same year that Dr. Mendelssohn died. There was no indication that Dr. Mendelssohn had written the book at all with him. And uh, I got the last name, Finn. So now I went to look up to see if, if that was her last name as well. So, you know, and pretty much, you know, people send me information when I ask for it. I'll say, okay, does anybody know? Has anybody heard of this Uncle Tom? And I'll get information from sources. And so I went with some of the information that I was sent, and I researched the la- her last name as well, which was Finn, found out. So her name, real name is Erin Elizabeth Finn. Well, who was Erin Elizabeth Finn? Well, it turned out it, she's claiming that she met Dr. Mercola in 2009. Well, 2008, uh, there was a record of her, if you start to look at it, being in a case with a, uh, it's called the, Pelican, the Anthony Pelicano case. Anthony Pelicano was a famous private investigator out of Los Angeles, and he was one that was hired by the stars mostly. And he was hired by Erin Elizabeth Finn's boyfriend at the time because Erin Elizabeth, because they were investigating Pelicano, the feds, and her boyfriend was also being investigated. And she threw him under the bus and said that he was doing drugs when she was questioned under oath. And so then he, he felt like he needed to retaliate against her and he wanted to get a background check on her. So he did a background check on her and he found out that she was a a high paid escort and 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 a prostitute and that she uh was getting a two day minimum of eight thousand dollars a day and, and all of this dirt he, he dug up on her. And then and, and what sort of a background does she have in science that would indicate that she's she's a powerful and authentic voice to uh to be out there front and center in the, the movement. Well, she she doesn't have that, but what she did have was in her in the job in her previous uh, employment job as an as an escort, she met she catered to Silicon Valley geeks, and one of them we assume that she probably met him in this way was a good friend of the Apple um, Wozniak Wozniak, who was the one that actually created the Apple computer with Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak. And she met this other guy named Kevin Metnick, who was very close friends with Wozniak. And Kevin Metnick was the world's leading hacker. He was also considered the leading social engineer, the the one that brought social engineering 101 to to everybody on the planet. I mean, he would speak... He was speaking, he was telling people about it, he was educating people on that, he's the lead educator. So she had very, very big connections within, now when you look at social engineering, what is that connected to? That, again, is connected to the deep state. In other words, how you uh, develop your market for advertising and marketing for public persuasion in the age of computer operations, this is what Metnick is literally America's leading expert, and he, he has gone to prison for hacking into the uh, Pacific uh, 
Corporation, I think it was a, a Pacific Bell Corporation and other corporations. Phone companies. Uh, and yep. so he has he was compelled to serve prison time in doing actually the basic work that Mercola has literally built his empire using these internet strategies and networking that persuades people and, again, socially engineers the population to believe that this is a good guy and a good service when, in fact, it's just part of what we're looking at is a massive amount of evidence showing fraudulent concealment. They conceal her identity. They conceal the operations, the computer networking capabilities, and the expertise that they have to generate the enterprise, the extreme wealthy enterprise. So that's basically what we're looking at. We can go for an additional 15 minutes if you would like. Uh, this will end the live broadcast, but for the podcast, we will have these additional 15 minutes if you, Lynn and Sherry, would like to keep, keep going. Sure, go ahead, because you probably have some more questions, Jenny. Go ahead. I do. I, I think the main question, you know, in questioning the, the credibility of, of these people and their backgrounds, your average mom or dad who has a vaccine-damaged child is going, well, why does this matter to me? And I, the main reason we wanted to do this podcast is because, the face you see on the news, NBC News, ABC News, whenever a parent of a vaccine-damaged child or an activist is shared with the public, that face is Barbara Lowe Fisher. So I'd like to use the end of this show for you two to describe what it means to be controlled opposition because it feels like a lot of families have a difficult time wrapping their heads around the idea that someone who just looks like them and is very articulate and good-looking could, could be a puppet on these very, very powerful puppet strings. Yes, exactly. I mean, we have to all imagine, even if we don't know what controlled opposition is, is to realize that big, pharm big pharma, the big corporations, the big money, they have tentacles like an octopus in everything. And in order to pretty much lead and control everything, they also have to infiltrate every single activist movement, which they have done. In every activist movement that's ever made a name for themselves, there's always been infiltration. With the natural health movement, it seems to have been the largest infiltration. When I do my research, that's what I see. But they've infiltrated everything. And we're talking about you know, them, them securing their interests because there's a lot of money to be made in natural health. And especially, for example, right now, we're advancing a revolution in, the, in medicine. It's called the 528 Love Revolution, and it literally shatters, shatters the medical paradigm that the bug did it or it's just simply chemistry because it, we engage spirituality and the physics and the mathematics of what underlies chemistry and spirituality. So that's one of the reasons, I think one of the main reasons that we're suppressed because if the counterintelligence and controlled opposition didn't take over, then they run the risk of having the entire medical paradigm shattered. 
And so it's a protective mechanism. In racketeering, it's a protection racket, protection organization whereby, for example, the National Vaccine Information Center, if the drug industrialists and lobbyists didn't infiltrate and conspire with Barbara Lowe Fisher to defraud the public as an alleged grassroots organization, then perhaps people like myself would have gotten involved in a big way and come out with the other meme, which is that no vaccines are safe, that you've got to use really what amounts to the Holy Spirit power of love that does all the healing anyway and stop poisoning us in our environment. So that, that, that's the concept. They had to do something. And that's what Sherry's referring to. Controlled opposition is the concept that was initially uh, advanced by communist Lenin, who said, we've got to make sure that we control our opposition. And that way, you know, your defense becomes your offense. You undermine the op opposition and the adversary's efforts, and that's how you control. So that's controlled opposition. And, you know, and to go back to Erin Elizabeth for a moment, her whole meme is the dead doctor meme. And what does that mean? What is it? Well, it really sends a message to people, dead doctors, dead activists, if you speak up, then you could potentially wind up dead. And that's Metnick's social engineering, you see. It's called a meme, yeah. a belief, behavioral, attitudinal, generally accepted, virtually institutionalized message. In this case, Aaron Elizabeth is there as a propagandist telling the, the natural medicine world that if you speak up, you're going to likely be assassinated. And so that fear, social engineering, designed by Metnick and company for the deep state, they literally suppress the entire movement and heroes stepping forward and saying, no, enough murder and genocide is enough. We've got to stop this. So that's how social control is maintained. Well, and it sounds like she was, she was not only married to that system, she, she was their personal escort. Yes, she's, she's very clearly, and she, uh, you know, I, I don't want to take uh, the credit for what Sherry did. Um, I've been busy with litigation issues, and frankly, um, we broke some heavy news this past week about the king of Hawaii, Kalakaua, being poisoned by drugs. Nobody knows that. We just, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with that research. Sherry did all the basic work on exposing Aaron Elizabeth Finn as a prostitute, a high-paid Silicon Valley prostitute who, who got herself involved with racketeers. Uh, the Pelicano case is a huge Hollywood scandal. And, and also Kevin Mitnick her, and, and, and how that relates to the dead doctors and how the social engineering of the dead doctors really makes sense with her involvement with Kevin Mitnick. Yeah, you know, you start to see uh, that Mercola's massive accumulation of wealth and power as a voice in the industry did not happen by chance, didn't happen by, you know, some sort of a miracle. He actually has a team of people, and she is central to that. And 
again, I think in law, again, silence where you conceal evidence, you conceal facts and truth, where she concealed her last name, and she literally was written up, and, and actually she pulled from the Internet. This is why Sherry's research is brilliant. She can find things that people don't even think are on the Internet anymore. You know, they're still lost in cyberspace somewhere, and if, you know, Sherry has motive, she'll find it. And so Sherry found virtually everything on Aaron Elizabeth Finn. And the picture is very clear. We're dealing with racketeering and organized crime. And on top of that, you know, Sherry dug up some before and after photos. For example, we have, uh, and we're going to be coming out with this, where Aaron Elizabeth Finn is marketing Dr. McCullough's dietary supplement practices and, and products, and she shows a before and after picture of herself that clearly appears to be doctored Photoshop to make it look like it's her body. It doesn't even really look like her body. And, you know, otherwise, you know, taking Dr. McCullough's supplements in a year is going to completely change your skeletal structure and give you broad shoulders and, and give you a central neck that's placed on your body correctly. I li they literally photoshopped somebody else's body, you know, and put Aaron's head on, not centrally placed. So it begins to, you see an obvious fraud, and that's literally criminal. And that's, in fact, a pattern because that's one of the things that Dr. McCullough in 2016 was indicted by the FTC for doing. It's defrauding the public, making false claims, and selling products that he claimed was, uh, were accepted by FTC and um, FDA, and, and they weren't. And so he was slapped. But again, when you have that amount of money, massive, massive wealth, you don't care. It's a blip. It's a drop in the bucket. But I think what Sherry's done by digging up all these facts that were concealed, now at least the public, you know, your average mom and dad can say, okay, I'm not going to buy from Dr. Joseph McCullough. And I think it, it is totally proper. In fact, in, under the circumstances, it would be unethical to purchase any products from Marcola.com. He needs well, to go I, to prison. They should go to prison. Literally, they should be in jail. I think the response of, I'm not going to respond to your claims, I'm going to delete you, I'm going to block you, is so telling. Because if they were honest-hearted people, both Dr. McCullough and Aaron, Aaron Elizabeth's response would have been, oh, okay, tell me more. I want to know the facts. I want to understand. And one of the interesting things she said in, on Facebook on Sunday, I thought, was um, this is upsetting many of the people who are commenting. And she was like, I have to get rid of this information, so I'm just going to delete it and block you. It's upsetting my tribe, she said. <laughs> yeah, well, again, it's, that's, that is so indicative of this narcissism. You know, these people are despicable. Think about it. It's not upsetting to tell the truth about how you've been defrauded by the National Vaccine Information Center and as a result, you have millions of brain-damaged children. That's not upsetting to her. But what is upsetting to her is that you're now implicating 
her financial mechanism by which she can buy her beach houses and her Tesla cars with Mercola, and Mercola can pay off over a thousand defrauded customers with a blink of an eye, and business as usual goes on on Mercola.com. That's that's the mentality that we're dealing with here, and it's consistent with her history being involved in the Pelicano Hollywood scandal. Well, and I want to address one more thing. Sherry, you wrote a Facebook rant about incrementalism because this big video production just came out with all these voices about the real story about vaccines. And the message that you received from so many people commenting was, well, we have to do this incrementally. We have to share this information slowly. The public can't quite handle it. And your response was quite emotional. Could you talk about that a little bit to finish up the show? Yes. I mean, the point is the show was really based, in my opinion, and I know in Len's opinion and several other people we know, I'm sure yours too, it really was about safe vaccines. It wasn't about how are we going to, you know, stop this genocide and stop promoting vaccines and realize that no vaccines will ever be safe. They never will be. Let's look at the people, the vaccine makers that are making these vaccines how do you ever believe that any of them would ever make anything safe? And the thing is, when you look at their backgrounds and you think, oh, my God, it's like saying, oh, I'm going to trust this, my child in the hands of a serial killer, because that's what these people equate to that are making vaccines. Well, and, and they, always, they always have that qualifier, and it starts at the very top. It's President Trump. It's RFK Jr. I am not against vaccines. They always qualify and then they say, but I question how much, I question how often, I question, you know, and I felt like your rant really addressed that. Well, I mean, and that was my, that was the point was really to get people to see. Now, I believe what their agenda is, is that they want to get the mercury out of the vaccines and then come back and say they're safe and neglect all the other poisons in the vaccines. Yeah, and so then we're back to square one, trying to get rid of the vac- you know, the vaccines again, and you still have them thing, and they'll take out another ingredient, and it's just terrible. So that's that's the social meme again. It's a belief, behavior, attitudinal where they're framing, they're framing the debate, and it the framing of it is the social engineering of it that Metnick is a key in his philosophy in his published documentation showing that's how they do it. So that's how the entire scam of vaccineology is being maintained right now. They frame the debate. They literally frame the capability for us to move forward. And what we really should be doing is what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDCP, it's the prevention that they've likewise censored. They've neglected it. It's grossly neglected. When you realize that prevention involves spirituality and faith and prayer and good nutrition and good water and good quality air and good exercise and good lifestyles and avoidance of the toxic toxins that acidify the body chemistry to make us susceptible to infectious diseases, all of that is being neglected because it doesn't make money for the drug industrialists, and that's the con the con job, and that's the consumer fraud, that the entire industry, it's been institutionalized. We're living under fraud, 
and that you can't have justice, you can't have health, happiness, and peace and prosperity if you are in that swamp and you don't have the opportunity to drain the swamp, as President Trump says, because you're in it, you're engaged in it, you're literally financed by it, and that ultimately, you know, draining it drains you right out into the gutter yourself. So this is the concept. You can't it's, – it's unreasonable. There's, it's uncivil and it's unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense unless you're a criminal psychopath who gets off on defrauding the public and then ultimately uh, is sustained by that financially. Son, I'd like to finish the show with you sharing the definition of what you call the big lie. Oh, that that comes right out of public health and common sense and medicine. Above all, do no harm. Above all, do no harm is the mantra that everybody is supposed to be operating under in medicine.